Namaste and in La Kachin. Welcome to this episode of One World in a New World. I'm your host, Zen Benefiel, and this week's guest is Joanna Bennett. She is a mother, a marketer, a writer, and an avid reader. She's a graduate of Rutgers with a minor in, or with a BS in finance, so she's very practical with her numbers. Uh, she's a columnist and featured contributor for Biz Catalyst 360, of, and this is how we initially met, is through the Biz Catalyst Friendship Bench that meets every Thursday, and if you don't know about that, maybe you should stop by. It's a great group of people. Uh, she's also a partner of um, O'Brien, or in O'Brien Communications Group, and if you look back through some of the interviews, you'll see Mark O'Brien as being one of them, so you'll get a good flavor for both of them. Uh, now, she's a mother of two wonderful little humans, and she's also an avid reader, an insatiable learner, and a self-acknowledged survivor. Joanna, glad to have you here. It's so wonderful to have some time. Thank you so much for having me, Zen. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Good. So let, let's start. Let's step in the Wayback Machine and forget about Peabody and Sherman, right? And, uh, and maybe that'll trigger some old memories for others. In your early childhood, were there some situations that you found that were kind of inexpressible and, and yet you felt a deeper level of connection to the world around you than, um, that than what was apparent to others as you were observing? I think when you say that, the first thing that comes up to me is always my connection with animals as a child. I always had a very, very deep connection. Um, my mom, thankfully, was one of those types of moms who let me have as many pets as I wanted. So we had rabbits and guinea pigs and birds and dogs and everything you could even imagine. Um, and I would even, I was the kind of little girl that would go outside and pick out bugs and put them in Tupperware containers and name them and they were my pets as well. I always used to catch grasshoppers, dig holes. I was very outdoorsy. I loved to, um, as I think of it now as an adult, I loved getting um, rooted in the earth. I loved being around um, just nature and the environment. And I didn't grow up in a town that was very nature oriented. It was more um, suburban city. I lived 15 miles from Manhattan, so it was very close to New York City. Mm. Um, so I just had my tiny little less than a quarter acre backyard, which to me was a forest. I mean, I could sure. do anything that I wanted to when I was in that backyard, dig holes as deep as my body and, and kind of do all that um, stuff. But one well, have permission to do so, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was always allowed to. As long as I was quiet and in the backyard, no one really bothered me. Um, but I always loved the animals. Like I remember one of my bunnies, his name was Houdini, and I have pictures of me um, growing up. I would dress him up in doll clothes and push him in little doll carriages. I had a baby carrier that I would carry this little bunny around with me, and that was just my my roll dog. You know, he was with me all the time. He would come sure. and do all different types of things with me. Um, I had a very special connection with that rabbit. Oh, it sounds awesome. I, I was fortunate too growing up and I, I didn't, uh, I wasn't in suburbia. I was a um, small town, 6,500, 7,000 people. And we lived on the outskirts of the town and there was a woods about a third of a mile away that I was able to walk to. And I spent copious amounts of time in it by myself. And it was heaven, right? Um, and few kids today, I think, take that opportunity and realize uh, to realize to first engage nature and then realize the benefit of doing so. 
because it really connects you to everything initially. And I think um, being a mom and having two kids of my own, um, I think that that's something that parents either push or don't push. I don't think that's a generational thing. I don't think it's a kid thing. I think it's just the way that they're raised because I I have maybe just a little bit bigger of a backyard than I did then. Um, but my kids in the summertime will spend the whole entire day outside. They will dig holes, find worms. I have chickens. I have dogs. I have, um, we have a spider too, just because... Uh -huh tarantulas are cool pets oh, um, yes. but they will live outside they will get muddy and dirty as soon as it starts raining all they want to do is go outside and splash in puddles so i do not think that i would say this generation of kids don't get it i think that it's just their parents don't push them to do that i totally agree my with kids that. also have playstation they're young but they still have playstation 4 they have nintendo switches they have tablets they have ipads and they would much rather go get muddy and dirty and come in and take a nice warm bath and sit on their tablets because they have permission to, and, and you're right, it, it's the parental willingness to allow the kids to be self-expressive in, in any way, and, and as long as they're safe, right, and, and parents usually will provide a safe environment for their kids, there are some instances where that doesn't happen, however, the majority have a safe environment in order to explore what happens, and, and what do you, let me ask you this, what do you see as the major challenge in, in um, and giving your kids the opportunity to self-express, and, and you're around other parents as well. How do you see that um, that process or that ability in them and, and the willingness to do so? And, and what do you think are some of the constraints? See, I think for my kids, I think they're they're obviously lucky um, to have the environment to be able to do that. We have the backyard. We're not living in an apartment, and we're not living in some sort of environment that doesn't allow them um, to be out there and self-expressive. But I also think I'm pretty lucky, um, and I do apologize for that. Um, my dog is crying at something. I guess the UPS man might be here. Huh. Um, but I think that um, for them... They're lucky because I do a lot of reading. So I do read a lot about how it's best to let kids self-explore. I, I read a lot about validation and kids feeling seen and kids feeling heard um, and kids feeling secure. So I kind of model my parenting out of a lot of the things that I read. And I don't think that that's a common, um, a common place in today's parenting. I don't think that we like to take um, advice from other people or like to get different perspectives we kind of pigeonhole ourselves because before I started reading a lot of books about um, mothering and attachment theory and that kind of a thing um, I did kind of say this is the way I'm doing it this is the way my instinct says this is the right way no one else can tell me squat but once you open up and realize that you don't have all the answers that's when you find more answers um, so I think that a lot of people just don't take that opportunity to do that and it's it's so easy to entertain yourself with TV. It's so easy to entertain yourself with social activities that sitting down and reading doesn't seem to be the norm um, with a lot of parents, I would say, that I run into. Mm -hmm. And also, too, I mean, work is hard. It's hard being a parent in 2023. I mean, COVID was hard. A lot of people didn't have the time and space. I mean, I'm super lucky. I work from home, so I don't have to commute back and forth to work. I don't have to worry about who's watching my kids when they get off the bus. So I do realize and recognize that I'm very grateful for having all the opportunities that I have to raise them the way that I do. Um, and other people don't necessarily have that. Um, I'm also a Girl Scout troop leader, which is pretty cool. So I get to run into a lot of the kids that my daughter goes to school with and, and get to like learn about them and their personalities. Mm -hmm. um, and we give them, the co-leader and I, we give them that space to be able to be self-expressive. Like we'll give them like a bunch of seven-year-olds, here's a bowl of oranges, paint it. Some kids are very 
realistic and they paint the blue bowl and they put the three oranges. Other ones, they're doing like a space photo with oranges floating in space because that's what they felt like doing. And, and it's cool to be able to be the leader that says, yeah, do that, do the space oranges. Okay. That's cool, who cares? Um, where a lot of people I think might say, oh no, we're supposed to be doing the realistic. So it's cool to be able to um, put my knowledge into other kids too and show mm -hmm. them that they can have that space that they're safe and they can explore what they want to and, and be who they want to. Do you think that our society by and large is more prescriptive in, in how to raise kids and, and not being open to that further exploration of um, the self-knowledge and the parental knowledge that's available from others? Because we're not given, uh, nobody's ever given a manual on how to raise kids. And yet there are so such a variety and, and such a diversity of how we grow up as adults that then have to learn how to interact with each other effectively, uh, which doesn't always happen, right? <laughs> and, and yet, you know, I, I taught high school um, back turn of the century, same kind of situation with uh, parents and, and the lack of parenting skills and because of the stress, the survival, right, the security, the, all the things that are important as a provider that has to be done pretty much outside of the home, or at least did then, now remote working has changed that so that there hopefully will be a, a, a shift in how kids are being raised today um, in a little you know, more positive way. And who knows what kind of changes that might produce 20, 30, 40 years from now when those same children then have the opportunity to be more expressive and feel like that it's okay. There's there's little self-deprecation mm -hmm. from that perspective because they're not being told, no, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. No, stay out of that. No, to, you know, there's this encouragement and often uh, embellishment of life as a result. Now, how do you see that being a, a, an important factor in how we're evolving at, as a society? Because you're also involved in, in some other things that would lend a, a, a different view and, and greater perspective as well. Yeah. I mean, for me, I think I one of the things I learned as a mom, which I didn't have any idea of before, is I really dislike the generalizations that are put around parenting because I do feel like um, it's it's much harder in 2023 than it ever was I feel like because we have car seats and we have safety precautions we have laws we have things that are put in place to make sure we do certain things appropriately and I totally understand that but when you think about the way I was raised I was probably seven years old when I was sitting in the back of my mother's station wagon hobbling along because she was bringing home 12 kids from the, from the elementary school because she was the parent that was the stay-at-home mom and everybody else wasn't. And we'd all go to my house and she'd watch them until their parents picked them up. Uh -huh. If I did that, I would go to jail. <laughs> if, if I got pulled over and had 10 kids in the back seat of my car, I would go to jail. So I think that it is very different. Um, and I think it's just something that as a society, and as you were mentioning a little bit before we, before we were recording, it's a generational thing. So it, we're the first generation that's really been forced to kind of deal with these constraints. Um, so you see a lot of parents that that 
go into that narrow mindset because we're told that's what we have to do. Now, that doesn't mean I let my kids go in the car without a booster seat because they have to be in their booster seat because A, I don't want to get a ticket. And B, I know it is the safest thing for them because there have been studies and there have been things that show that. And I'd rather get in a car accident and have my two children live than be yeah, a victim. They're on the side car. of caution and safety. Why, exactly. why not? Exactly. But I also think that it causes these anxieties and these avoidances in certain parents because they're nervous about how breakable and how damaged kids can be and kids can get. And when you overcompensate, I feel like we don't let them, like we were saying before, become individuals and we don't let them kind of self-explore in a way. Um, I mean, like I, I was saying, I let my kids outside, they play outside all by themselves for hours. I have plenty of windows, I can see what they're doing. Usually they're making mud pies into pizzas and delivering them in their little toy cars to each other and it's hilarious. Mm. Um, but there are also shovels that they play with. You could get hurt with a shovel. Thankfully, none of my kids have. Um, I've also had, I mean, I have a boy and I have a girl. So just as a comment, I always thought that it was the way you raised them that it, that made them different. But no, they're completely opposite. Raising a male and raising a female is two completely different situations. But sure. I remember I had planted a raspberry bush and it was just a very small raspberry bush. It was going to get bigger. I went outside and that was one of his pizza toppings. He ripped it out of the ground and put it on the pizza topping. And Every part of me is so mad, right? Because this kid just ripped up my my plant that I just planted and it's mine and it's beautiful. But also taking a minute to take a few deep breaths before completely losing my cool and saying he was trying to express himself. He had no idea that that was mom's raspberry bush. And the way that I react to him is going to change his experience in life going forward. I mean, not Absolutely. one instance. You're allowed to make one mistake as a parent and it's not going to change your kid forever. But the more mistakes I can avoid and the more mistakes I can um, put to the side. And and I think it's cool to look at the kids not as uh, mistakes or bad kids or good kids. Like it's all a matter of choices that they make. Right. Well, I, I mean, what's is he the making a good that... choice? Is he making a bad choice? And I can yeah. kind of coach him along a little bit with that. Like ripping out mommy's raspberry bush was a bad choice. We're not going to do that again. And then go inside and scream my head off when he's not there, because I don't want to ruin his sense of self and his spirit sure. and his exploration and his joy. Sure. But my daughter would never have ripped out a raspberry bush when I done anything with it. Well, you know, boys tend to be a little more <laughs> mischievous and not thinking. They just do. I, I know I was that way growing up and given permission to do so. Yeah. Um, and very rarely was I chastised. I was always, you know, I had to clean up my messes, like, you know, throwing mud pies on the back of the shed. I had to clean the back of the shed off when I was done. <laughs> um, so those kinds of things. And, and I, again, fortunate just as you were to have the, uh, and are to have the freedom to be expressive. And in that, do you feel that this, um, the, the notion of having to control the environment is where we kind of get lost in, in, thinking that, you know, certain things have to be certain ways and, and that freedom um, and the ability that we have to nurture that, okay, this wasn't a mistake, you know, it, nothing is good or bad, it's how we think itself, yep. right? And, and in this, just seeing the, you know, your kid going, right, I'm just having fun trying to, you know, play and, and enjoy myself. What, how can you fault a child for being that you can't. you can't and i will say that one time my son was being babysat by my neighbor 
and she she when I came back she told me the story that he was making mud pies and he was like oh Teresa we're just gonna throw them against the back of the house and she's like I don't know if that's a good idea honey mom might not be so happy with that he was like no it's fine as long as I get the hose and clean it off I'm allowed to do that so it's just funny that you say that because that's exactly what my son does even when baby sat no I'm totally allowed to throw mud against the house as long as I clean it off he's five <laughs> that, that's a, a amazing and he's knows right because you've nurtured him into that and there's no destructive i don't think kids are destructive by nature at all they, excuse me yeah nice to get caught up on that one right <laughs> that they seem to be much more um playful and, and um interactive and and sharing oftentimes and unless they see other indications in the home that that's not the kind of behavior that they need to be engaged in, which is unfortunate. Now, how do you see this kind of, because, it, and I'm looking at, at future engagement, you know, that these apocalyptic chats are all about how to get in touch with the inner, inner nature that we have to be that, and then to find practicality in it in the world. So in this, how do you see this kind of, um, freedom for expression being crucial in the evolution of our society today and especially with the pranners and, and just coming out of covid and remote working changing things and the whole um societal shift if you will of first being afraid of each other and told and told we need to be which i believe is a false narrative and then coming out of that with a, with people waking up and saying, wait a minute, we don't have to do that. We can move forward together and figure out ways of doing it better. Yeah. How do you see that that shift taking place? And and you know, and we're having conversations about this with the on the friendship bench, right? Yeah. Of how to get in touch with yourself, how to be that person that you truly are, not what has been imposed upon you for whatever reason yeah i think something on this topic that kind of drives me wild a little bit is the notion of social media i think that our our generation this time is the first time we've ever really had such access to other societies other people um on a personal and a global level so i think that the, the advent of social media and the advent of covid really kind of pushed social media to be the way that we can be social zoom calls i mean like you said the friendship bench that's one example we meet once a week with people from all over the world and we have important conversations never has there ever been a time in the world as it exists that you and me and someone in england and someone in italy and someone in africa could be on a video call see each other's eyes feel each other's energy have conversations about our feelings and the things that matter to us and be heard and be seen and feel safe with that and i think those little those little bubbles ripple bigger and bigger there's also mm -hmm. 10 million downsides to it there's also lots of things that we have to work out and work through um, but i do think that the good will ultimately outweigh the bad experiences and i know one topic you're passionate about um, cognitive bias which is something that i too enjoy and i think that that's something a i like you mentioned earlier i have a finance degree so if i was living two generations ago and had a finance degree i would have my knowledge base that's what i would do i would go to work and that would be it 
Um, I work for a communications company and I do marketing. How do I do that with a finance degree? Because I felt the universe pushed me in that way. I have a wonderful working relationship with my partner of 12 years. Um, and, and, and we built this together. We've built what we are. We've built our brand and, um, and we enjoy what we do, but I also have the ability to read books and to learn from neuroscientists on the friendship bench about biases, about cognitive biases, things that I may never have been exposed to without the internet, without the age of social media, without the age of all this information. Sure. And that's something that drove me wild and makes me read and want to know more about psychology, psychiatry, mental health, all those kinds of things, which I might never have been my interest might never have been piqued if I didn't have the access to that information. Um, so I think that it's really important to, to have our, obviously our eyes wide open. There's good and there's bad about the internet. There's good and there's bad about everything that we can and will be exposed to. Um, but I do think that we need to home in on the good and we need to find ways to make that better and to mm -hmm. find our interests, find what we are. We don't need, I don't need to be defined by a degree that I decided to get when I was 18 years old. Joanna 20 years ago had no idea who Joanna was going to be right. today. However, Why should I be put in that box? Sure, sure. However, by getting that degree and understanding the mechanisms of finance, you understood or learned about process, yes. right? And detail. And that all of those things have to line up in order for things to resolve at a zero balance, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so... Uh, and it's not zero sum, it's much more than that yep. because you're able to apply that kind of understanding and structure into another world and have it work better because of that prior knowledge. Mm -hmm. And now one of the things that, and I agree, it's so wonderful to be able to meet with people from all over the world and and have great conversations without the misunderstandings that that often would take place because uh, for instance like in the 80s when uh, american companies went overseas and tried to do business and set up facilities and things like that 80 percent of them failed well why well there was no study of the culture that they were going into so if they expected the american way to be the, to supplant everything in that environment and they didn't consider well how are people there what do they need how can we engage them to do what we need in a better fashion and now we've got this construct that has evolved over mm -hmm. 40 years to oh people are different we need to understand the differences not set them as a detriment but to set them as a nuance that embellishes the relationship yeah. or use the relationships with greater understanding of other people. Because ultimately, you know, would, do you feel it that, and I say this quite a bit, but I, I'd love to get some corroboration from you if, if possible. Do you feel like our ultimate goal is simply to be, to love and be loved? <laughs> yes. Okay. Her book I'm reading, um, do you know who Dan Siegel is? Yes. So I'm a big Dan Siegel fan. He has a new book. I don't know if you've heard of it, Intraconnected. Mm. It's came out in November, so it's relatively new. Um, and like most Dan Siegel books, it takes me quite a while to get through it. So I've only gotten through the introduction. I'm taking a break and I'm going to go back to it when I'm ready. Sure. Um, but the main premise of it is that 
um, we really are so connected to the world around us and the people around us. And we kind of, especially in the Western society, we live in this like solo self. Like when we were talking before and someone had asked you the question, like, where are you Zen? What was your answer? I'm in my body. I'm in my body. So his idea of the solo self is that we tend to think of ourselves as this body. I am Joanna. This is my body. This is who I am. And I will experience the world as Joanna. But we don't tend to look at it the way that um, more indigenous tribes did, where I, yes, I am Joanna. This is my body. My parents gave me my name. I am white. I am heterosexual. I like, there are so many labels that you can slap on me. But what makes me me is more than me. What makes me me is, what, for silly examples, I decided not to rake my leaves in the back this year because I read an article that bumblebees and crickets like to hide underneath them in the winter. And then you give them a moment to, to do their thing and then they come out in the spring and you get to give the population a place to live. I read that article, couldn't, I, I raked in the front, but I had to leave some in the back for them. That's what I'm looking at right now through yeah, my window. At, at the potential of it. But that one idea, that one article made a difference in the world. My relationships, my relationships with my friends, with my family, um, my relationships that ended, my relationships that didn't, each one of those little tentacle of my life changed me and I changed it. So if we think of the world more as it's, Joanna is not just this body, but Joanna is everything that vibrates around. Joanna is connected to the moon and the moon cycles. Joanna is connected to the spring. Joanna is connected to planting seeds in the spring and, and growing gardens in the, in the summertime. There's so and, much- And being on the moon is a really nice view. Yeah. <laughs> so we need to get out of the solo self and say, this is, this is what I am. This is what I control. This is what I have power over. I need to kill the pests in the backyard and I need to do all this. And we need to just kind of realize that there's so much more out there. And I think globalization, like you were talking about in the eighties, that's when it started. That's when it began, but what can we do with it now? Now that we know, now that we travel places, now that we see, okay, maybe, I don't know, maybe when when we were in the war with Vietnam, you would say Vietnam is terrible. They're doing bad things. Everyone over there is awful. But when you actually look at the people that are there, they're not fighting against America. Most of them are fighting to save the life of the person that's standing next to them. Mm -hmm. They're not they're not this big conglomerate of power and control that we like to think everyone around us is. We all just want to be connected to something. We all want to be safe. We all want to be secure. And sometimes our defense mechanisms come out and it's bad. And sometimes those defense mechanisms are from world leaders and they make really bad choices and they put right. other people's lives at risk. So I think that in my mind, we need to realize that we are just so much more and we are just like you, you like to talk about energy and is it quanta and, and what we are and, and all of that. We need to just accept that we are not. Joanna who works behind her computer and does this and has kids and has to make dinner and has to do the laundry. There's so much more. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And, and I'm, as you've noticed, I, I play on the, uh, the new, uh, pronoun phrase, right? And I am, we are, that's really what it is. I, I am, I am been, there's no definition to that except what I choose to place on it for myself. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what all I am I'm, and I'm curious to be yeah. and to become whatever it is that I am designed to be. And this is where that, uh, the notion of, of 
in this place of unconditional love, which we all want to achieve, right? And, and love one another. Well, what is the essence of that? Where does that come from? And when we pause, it seems that it comes from the nothingness. Yeah. Right? And, and we, we used to call it the void. Now it's the nothingness. And it's from where all things spring before we think anything. There's nothing. Yeah. And we don't actualize or, or integrate that pause button, if you will, to ask questions, shut up, listen, and let that answer come forth without our own prescriptive notions of it, which is what we tend to do. And especially with the globalization, it's like, here's the pres prescriptive narrative that this is what we have to do, right? Yeah. And yet, what we find over time, and, and maybe you can um corroborate this from your perspective is it seems that that kind of activity was more about ac acquiring kind of like the Ferengi right acquisition resources and management of them for the benefit of a few rather than the majority and now we're looking at okay wait a minute we've got a, a huge population now and there's a, a camp that says oh we got to call it and then there's a camp that says, no, we don't. We got plenty of space and land and, and technology to manage it all and be able to feed, clothe, and house everybody and provide them health care if we just figure out how to work together better in order to do so. Yeah. Right. And that's kind of the phase we're in right now, coming out of COVID and the sequestration and, and the abject, and I, this may not be true, but the, the phrase abject horror of being alone surfaced we can't be alone we that just it diminishes our ability to be because we're all sharing we're all parts of um and i'll refer to the vedantic philosophy which comes from the rig veda and the uh, or the vedas and rig veda thousands of years ago 10 15 000 years approximately that this has been around sanskrit originally but it talks about the unity consciousness that we are all part of and uh, and as divine threads of if you will in these incarnations and through my spiritual awakening i had at 18 i recognized that we're all cosmic consciousness same as or same concept condensed into form just unaware well mm -hmm. as you become aware what do you what do you find that you in your own process of becoming aware of your own self, what else opened up to you? What other dimensions, what other worlds, what other considerations beyond this world opened up to you in that process? Where did, how did those thoughts? I think for me, one of the biggest transformative um, ideas, not the right word, practice, I would say, is meditation. Okay. Um, I was really into a book called um, The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. And in it, he talks about um, Vipassana meditation and how important it is to shut your brain off for a certain part of time. So that way you can find the answers that you seek. So a lot of times, especially in our culture, and I know I felt this, we're go, go, go. Like this is the to-do list. This is what has to get done, especially as a parent that has a full-time job. You have to constantly make sure there's groceries. You have to manage a household. You have to do all these kinds of things. But when you just take a break, and we don't realize how how powerful it is until we do it. When you okay. take a break and shut your mind off, you're able to go to different um, 
to go to different places and have different ideas. Um, there's a guy, what's his name? Uh, David G, I think is his name. I, I don't hope I'm not mispronouncing it, but he has a couple meditations that I do in the morning and he talks about like stardust. And I love the idea of we are stardust. The clock is stardust. Your computer is stardust. Everything is stardust. And when you think about the universe as just elements of something so far out there that like, I wish I could see a star. Obviously I could see them in the sky, but if mm -hmm. I was to stand right in front of a star and I would go blind, I would die because it would be too hot. But imagine the power behind a star and I am a star. Like I'm a part of a star, astrophysics, yes. Right. Um, and, and just knowing that everything around us has been created by something that is so massive and out there. Um, I think that going again that route that I just said going to meditation and doing different meditations and meeting different meditation teachers um I, I was able to come across him and come across that notion and I love just laying in my I usually meditate laying down in my bed because that's my go-to some people mm -hmm. like to sit some people like to lay on the floor I prefer my bed it's nice and cozy and comfy um and I just love thinking about how tiny not in a energetic way because I'm not tiny in an energetic way but tiny in a physical way um that there's just so much else out there and so much bigger and so and so much to to plug into um and and you really can you can make wishes and and you can and you can uh, manifest things and you can attract things to you and when you finally get that and you finally get that give and take and that push and pull and you're just open i mean there was a time in my life where i thought i had to control everything um but now i'm just kind of open to what the universe thinks i need like, I don't need to have all the control and the power. What I need to do is listen. And I think meditation was my first little intro into being quiet, like you said, listening to something else, listening to someone else, listening and understanding who I am as a person in a different way. Mm -hmm. And then to kind of bring it full circle, having those ideas and those experiences helps me be a mom too. Because I know that I can't teach my kids everything I know as a 38-year-old, but I can give them the ideas that they can decide those things for themselves. Um, sure. A small example of that, I was raised Roman Catholic, so I went through all of my um, sacraments and did all of that. Um, and I stayed in the church for quite a while until I was about 18 years old. But when my children were born, their dad and I did not raise them in a religious household. He was also Roman Catholic. We just decided that that, like we baptized one of our children just because his family kind of really wanted it. Um, but that was just something we didn't really want to do. So they didn't grow up with that indoctrination like I did and like he did. Um, but it was interesting one day, my son, we were at the book barn, which is one of our favorite places to go. And he got a book about God. He wanted it because it had a cucumber on the front of it. I was like, all right, get what you want. And we read it and he was like, what? He's like, God. And he never thought of this concept before, which is just wild. You got five years of your life without even having one Bible verse read to you. Um, but he was like, so God's like everything, like God's my clock and God's my bed and God's the earth and God's the sky. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. You're way, you got way more of this than I ever did just by giving you the space to not be forced into it. Um, and, and I just think that that's beautiful. I do too. And do you feel that when we're able to release all of the outer attachments that we acquiesce to that understanding that we're part of uh, an integral part of everything and that in that place when we entertain concepts or dreams desires um, of that incorporate our being in the world that those actually manifest 
over time. And oftentimes we don't realize just, you know, it's like we'll have thoughts years ago that, for instance, I, I had a 28-year dream come true that was just phenomenal. Uh, when I did my first version of this show, One World, back in 1990, I wanted to emulate Bill Moyers and Jeff Mishlop. Um, Bill Moyers had uh, the power of myth with Joseph Campbell, as well as other things, and, and Jeffrey Mishlove had new, had thinking aloud on a PBS station across the country and interviewed really weird people. Right? He has, had a doctorate in parapsychology, so he talked to people with, um, or, or that had experience in multiple realms and books, PhDs, all, all those kinds. And I was fascinated by it. I loved his style. And I hoped someday to be worthy of an interview with one of them. 28 years later, through a situation totally, uh, I, I'd set it up, you know, I had a ufology press website, and Jeff had done an interview with a guy about the grays, and he reached out to me through Snake Pipe, which is a website feature for voicemail, and the only one that had been used, uh, the only time it ever happened in the seven years that the site had been up, and so I get the voicemail, and I'm listening to the voice, and I recognize Jeffrey's voice immediately, and my heart just starts racing, yeah, it's like here's the opportunity, and sure enough, um, I, I listened to the interview. I, I posted about it. I sent him the link, and I sent him a PDF copy of my big book, "Stubbing My Toe on Purpose," at subtitled "A Seminal View of Consciousness, Cosmology, and the Congruence of, of Science <laughs> and Spirituality." Right, and it's just light reading, and uh, 500 pages and plus. And he sends an email back three days later. Hey, would you like to come talk about it? And that just, uh, the feeling of connectedness, of acknowledgement by the universe, uh, of finally stepping into a place of credibility that I hope someday able to, re to achieve. It was huge. Yeah. And, um, and I'm sure you've felt, and maybe others have felt, and maybe not even recognized when an accomplishment or an opportunity for an accomplishment occurs, that they actually thought about it many you know, months, maybe even years before. And it just took the universe that much time to set it up. Yeah. Because that's a lot of intricate details to get two people out of seven and a half billion. Yeah. The, their data streams are, you know, yeah. crossed. And, and there's yeah. no explosion. And I think that that's another of powerful part of the internet that we don't give it credit for. I think that it's it's all energy right so yes. whether you meet someone from the friendship bench or you meet somebody on facebook or a dating app or whatever those, those interactions are not by chance and the universe can have a larger um, power in different places and does well when you consider yeah. it to be infinite intelligence this is how we refer to it right yeah it's got all the answers it is everything well when we ask the right questions and, and that come from the depths of our being with the purity of attention, intention, and interaction as follow-up, yes. then magic happens, or we think it's magic. However, there's a science behind that. Absolutely. I'm going to be specifically vague in this one comment I'm going to make, but right. there's a nonprofit that I'm a part of that I've been a part of for probably four years now that there's probably 500 other people in this group. And I was going through a really rough time a couple months ago where I was really kind of sad and going through some grieving process. Um, and magically, like the founder of this group reached out to five different people and was like, hey, do you guys want to be like the 
the the leadership team of this. I need help and I've been doing it by myself for two decades and I really need some help. Will you five do it? So five out of 500, just from me using my voice and speaking regularly to a whole bunch of people in this group that was on Facebook, I was able to become a leader in a group that is changing the way that the world works. And had I not been on Facebook, had I not used my voice the way that I did, had I not been as authoritative as I am, had I not done so many different things, that opportunity would never have opened itself up for me. But because of that, it did. And, and that's just something that in my mind was just so amazing. It was exactly the time that I needed it. It gave me something to kind of put my passion into. And I, I, I just, there, there are no accidents. That's something that Mark O'Brien, my partner always says at work, there are simply no accidents. Everything happens for a reason. Right. And, and he has a life of proof of it as well. Yeah. Uh, and, and that recognition, how, how do you find a place to be receptive and attentive to those moments where there's a greater connection that's taking place that benefits everyone? How do you acquiesce or how do you process? How do you first, you know, become aware of that and uh, and integrate that? In, in... Like most of that in my life comes as like a hindsight. Like I feel like things happen and I just energetically kind of flow with them. And then a month or a week or a day afterwards, I'm like, oh, wow, that happened. That was supposed to happen. So I think when I'm in the moment, I tend to just be more present and aware of what's happening and, and trying to make the best decisions that I can in the moment. And then afterwards, I usually think back and say, how did I handle that? How did I accomplish all that? How did I do all that? Um, and that, that's that's how I would say, maybe okay. I need to get better at that. So in the reflection, <laughs> so in the reflection of, of asking yourself the questions. Yeah. Okay. Does that give you the uh, better ability to strategize and plan an activity or, or uh, an event in the future that has um, maybe not a specific result, but has um, a, a result that you don't know is exactly how it's going to happen, but you, in essence, project into the future with the attention, intention, and interaction of this whatever it is happening mm -hmm. and then find those breadcrumbs that lead you to it in the process of life right it's no, like, I, who is it um renee wilkie okay right that says you got to live with the question you okay. can't answer the questions with the knowledge you know you have to live with it and allow life to give you the answers. That's a really tough thing to do for most people. And I think that I've never really thought about that, but having you ask that question is making me ponder. And I think it also goes back to meditation for me too, because I do a lot of um, manifesting meditations and I do a lot of um, meditations that kind of do um, affirmations, ones that are like, I'm more than my body, I attract, I do. So like I, I, I do those practices and maybe in those subconscious moments that I am not tallying 
what what exactly I'm going to manifest. I don't write it down in a journal as I'm trying to zone out. Well, it's energy, it's, so there's going to be a, a sense or a feeling. Yeah, so maybe in those moments, that because I have said a lot of times, like before the event I just told you about, like I'm, I'm searching for peace, I'm searching for resolution, I'm searching for all these kind of big words and, and, and big things. And then slowly these things come into my life that are going to ultimately give me peace and they're ultimately going to give me the resolution. They're ultimately going to give me the confidence and they're going to give me um, the power to do some things that I never thought I would do. And, and one, another, I, I just finished it. So it's probably going to be a year or two before it comes out, but I finally finished my first book. Um, oh, congratulations. Thank you. One of many, I'm sure. Um, but it's currently, um, it's going to be edited within the next probably two months um and then we're going to see whether i do traditional or self-publishing i mean there's a whole bunch of other questions that have to come and go um but it's done and that's something i never in a million years thought i would do especially with a finance degree i'm going to write right, a book right, right. <laughs> i always wanted to write a book and, and was told based on my experiences and, and the things that I, I shared um in in the 90s everybody was like you know you, you really need to write a book well it took me 10 years i started yeah. in in 2001 i think and, and it took me 10 years to write the book and in the process i wrote three others that didn't have anything to do with the book because there were things that came up that i had to yeah. express and, and um you know and and it is a process and and there's um there is a sense of, of uh, catharsis in it because as you, especially it, you know when you're writing about the most the thing that you know about the most which is you right because we can only view things from our own experience and write and, and experience and, and express from that place it um it, it gives this well let me ask this how did that sense come to you during this process and what are the kinds of, of things that you noticed were catharsis for you in the process so i wrote a memoir so that answers the question. <laughs> um writing specific events in my life that were um scary and and hard and difficult and grief stricken and all those kind of words that you could come up with mm -hmm. um going through each one of the events I would, it took me three years, so a little bit less, but still a lot of time in my mind. I thought I would sit down, write it in, a, in two months, and that would be it. But it does take a long time and a lot of commitment. Um, but writing it out gave me the ability to let it go. Um, writing it out gave me the ability to reduce a lot of the anger and avoidance and anxiety and, and all those kind of emotions around it because I was able to get it out and, and let it go and, and it didn't have to affect me anymore because it was no longer mine it was going to be other people's as well um, and it was going to help other people so I think um, that type of catharsis absolutely and also just finishing it was cathartic in and of itself just being able to say whether I sell one copy or I sell a million copies whatever happens with this is what the universe wants to happen you know I'm not going mm -hmm. to say um, I control it because I absolutely do not. It's got to have its own life and its own sure. energy and its own vibration. Um, but whether I sell one or hundred, if I help one person, if one person reads it and says, you know what, I, I identify with this and I need to make changes or, or, or things like that, I, I feel like my job is done. Sure. And then I got to do it again and again. So just knowing that I was able to put my mind to something that daunting and finish it and let it go um, and 
and build the layers of understanding because as that catharsis takes place you gradually step further and further and further away from it to be able to observe it without the emotional attachment to it like you're saying the letting go and, and that is crucial in the development of self-awareness and your ability to manage the world in a in an effective way that, that makes it good for everybody yeah. right including you yeah and that wouldn't have happened had you not had that self-examination as you were writing yeah to be able to view that and think about how you were thinking about it. yeah absolutely and it was interesting too because i used a lot of um journals that I had written at that time, text messages between me and a bunch of other people. So I was actually living some of the exact memories and the exact moments. And it was so bizarre that there were moments that I completely forgot. Like it, it actually taught me a lot about um, our psychology and the way that our brains work and like our cognitive ability to have memories. Because a lot of things I thought I remembered correctly and I would write it out and then I would go back and read some text messages or read my journal entry from that day. And I'm like, I totally forgot about that. And sometimes I would call my friends who were involved and I'd be like, hey, do you remember this? Because I have no recollection of this. I wrote this whole chapter of a book that I had to just delete because I was wrong. I was totally wrong in the yeah. way that my memory absorbed it. And then my one friend, Jesslyn, she, she got on the phone with me one day and she was like, I absolutely remember it the way that it happened. And I cannot believe that you have this different memory. And then her and I having that conversation opened up both of our minds to the bigger picture too, because right. it is so bizarre the way that our brains work. And, and we do love to think that we are always right and we always have the right answers and we always have the right memories and how dare this happen and how dare that happen. But when you take a break and you, and you just realize like, I am totally fallible. Like I am 100% able to make mistakes. I am not perfect by any means. My brain is not perfect. Um, and that's okay. And I'm allowed to live this life with all of those truths. That's Absolutely. Now, do you feel that um, now that you have that awareness, does it seem like the memories are more developed from the emotions involved rather than the actual facts of the event? You know, because it's like, it, even with speakers today, a lot of them, <clears throat> doesn't matter what they say it's how they make you feel yeah that you retain and, and so do you find that that's something that uh as you found out more about the event and, and, and you know did the recap with your friends that there was that distinction of the emotion separate from the event and how it affected your memory absolutely yeah i mean um you don't write a memoir about your lovely walk in the park and how beautiful it was. <laughs> so it was a well, lot that's of, part uh, of it because some of those yeah, do kind of emotion to tied into it. Right? And I think that when you're in like that fight or flight mode, you don't record the memories as well as you would if you were taking the walk in the park, enjoying the sounds and enjoying the smells. You're worried about surviving. So when you're in that mode and your amygdala is amygdala-ing, <laughs> that's a word, but I'm going to make it. Um, you you just don't absorb and you don't retain as much 
and and it just blows my mind that like on that topic you you if you go to court or if you go to to um testify or you go to the police or you do something like that they expect us to re to record and to remember events so clearly and you've seen i'm sure law and order shows where they put someone on the stand and they say this happened and then they ask them another question and it, and it changes a little and they're like oh that person's blind you can't trust anything that they say right how about we have someone who actually knows how the brain works because the brain actually doesn't record things the way a typewriter would and then they can read it back we, we, we really, as a society, and I think we're getting there. I think it's um, something like you mentioned, it takes generations to kind of get past certain things, but we do need to be more trauma-informed and more aware of like how we actually work in order to create, like you were saying, places where we don't have um, aggression, where we don't have all this like anger that comes in and tries to force us into being things that we're not. I mean, if you have a victim up on the stand in a law and order show and they had some crazy experience and they're just trying to get justice, you should not badger them and you should not cross-examine them and, and try to make them slip up. Like, why, why is that the goal? Right. Well, there's old prescriptive methods <clears throat> that aren't inclusive of that greater depth of understanding of our psyche and our ability to process. Mm -hmm. and the ways in which to facilitate that processing to have the best results of it rather than this um, uh, angry, no, the adversarial relationship. Yeah. Right? Because you're there to, to get justice. Well, justice ought to be something that everybody agrees is true and needs to be. And in those kind of situations, there's this um, fight yeah. to, that really doesn't seem to be advantageous. Now, but you do mention it in, you know, the short term, how we are shifting over the last few decades in, in the awareness and the consciousness. And even, you know, this was a big thing around the Mayan calendar and, and coming up to the solstice of 2012, there was this huge boon in, in awareness and consciousness and you know there were there was evidence everywhere tv shows books cds albums um, music all, all this kind of thing were moving us toward that and yet we still have the inability to see on a, a long-term timeline how we've developed as a planetary civilization which we really don't have yet we have mm -hmm this globalization but there's still separate entities that are interacting and attempting to control certain things according to what they think is best well what's best for everybody we haven't got to that place yet and this is part of this transition coming out of covid in my opinion is we're looking okay this affected us globally how can we have a positive global environment that nurtures our humanity mm -hmm. instead of um, sublimating it through yeah. how would you see that taking place what are some of the kind of things that based on your experience and, and conversations with biz catalyst and, and the experience of a, a much larger um, personality base if you will how do you see that happening do you see that um, that it's something that's even on the table or being discussed or, or is it something that hasn't quite gotten there yet 
I think it's such a really big topic to discuss. I think it's something I that we have to do and experience. And I think with anything, I, I love the idea of um, pendulization. I think that that is just kind of how our society really goes. Like pendulum goes one way and then we, we oh no, we went a little too far. And then we go the other way. And we're like, eh, yeah. We really just sit in the middle, like just floating around somewhere that's kind of um and hopefully the clock the clock never strikes midnight, right? <laughs> yeah. Or what what's the what do they call that? The um oh you know that clock that's at three minutes to midnight now. Yeah. Or I, I forget what the name of it is, but that just seems like it, it's pressure, right? Yeah. That, that we've got to do some things and yet what is it that we need to do that would make the most profound effects in the shortest amount of times? And how could we proceed once that's understood? I think it truthfully starts with understanding that we are connected to so many other people and to so many other things um, and, and using that positively. So instead of saying, I am Joanna, how am I going to change the world? I need to say, I am Joanna, how can I talk to everybody else around me and all the things around me and, and make a positive effort to, to show people the things that I do and I am capable of and, and, and make my ripple bigger and make, make my ripple um, more powerful. Like even being a mom, that's like such a powerful thing. So I get to raise two little people and they're going to outlive me, God willing, and they're going to have their own footprint on the world. How I treat them and how I allow their personalities and self and self-talk, because you, you learn yourself talk from your parents. How they talk to you is how you're going to talk to yourself. Right. And, and hopefully they can experience some of the things in life much earlier than I decided to learn them. I feel like I made this really big shift when I was 35, which is only three years ago. Um, so that's just wild, but maybe they can just start the journey at a, at a, at a, at a much more advanced pace than I was able to. And then imagine all the things that they can accomplish. Sure. Imagine what a self-aware 12 year old is going to come up with way more than a self-aware 38 year old is going to come up with. So I think doing those things and, and realizing that we're not going to do it overnight. It's never going to change overnight. We're never going to say, Hey, let's have this conversation. And all of a sudden the world is going to be in this lovely peace and harmony. It's nice. never going to happen. We just have to do our best. It's something, I know you know Byron Edgington from the um, Friendship Bench. One of my favorite things that he says is, I just want to leave the campground better than I found it. And that's what we have to do. If everybody did that, imagine what the world would be like. If, if, if we weren't out there to control situations and if we weren't out there to be the biggest or the best or the baddest, and we were just out there to live our experience and in and, and the most full capacity that we possibly could. And in doing that, helping the world be a little bit better than it was when we got here bingo what else could we do i mean i'm sure you were raised it, i mean I, I i do believe you're a little bit older than me but in a time where kids were supposed to be bit. seen I, and not I've heard children your age yeah but seen and not heard like i was allowed to exist but i better not talk a lot about it i was and, and i was a very um uh, pardon me i have adults your age <laughs> but i was a really verbose child so that was terrible for me. I got, I, I would get really, really good grades in school, but I would get terrible progress reports because I, was oh, I, class, I, I remember that one. Shut up. Yeah. I could sit her next to a wall and she would yeah. keep talking. And I'm like, all right, well, I was a kid trying to like live her life, but to give kids the ability to do that and not reprimand. I mean, obviously in school, you have to be um, a certain way so that you can accomplish what you need to accomplish. You can't be gabbing all through class. I get that. But I never had the environment to do that. I couldn't do that at home. I couldn't do that at school. Where was I going to do it? 
but mm-hmm. having the experience and the ability to do that as kids, that's going to change everything. Sure. It's like sure. kids are going to change the world and we're raising them. I mean, my daughter goes to school and they teach her emotional regulation and they teach her how to talk about feelings. <laughs> Seven years old. Imagine what that generation yeah, is going to do. We never it was the, um, the old traditionalist, the, the Dewey view, right, of um, here's the box, here's the things you need to learn in order to be productive and go to work. Yeah. There was no real personal development that was left up to the teachers that were able to handle that and yeah. all of that. I, I remember, I was just thinking, did you have a phrase that... Um, you remember from your childhood, maybe even your teenage years that gave you a little more impetus so, or was was meant to give you more impetus to to do or be more. I, I, my parents, um, the phrase that I always remember is, that's great, we know you can do better. <laughs> and what does that produce long-term, right? Well, I'm as you can, that you may not have looked, but if you look into my history or the things that are that I've produced, I'm an overachiever by, you know, <laughs> an amazing amount. Um, mm-hmm. And yet, and I've enjoyed it all and it's made progress and it's made me a better person. However, that initial, um, that's good. We know you can do better. That was kind of, um, hmm not so much of an acknowledgement right because there was always that oh but i'm not perfect yeah right and we want to be perfect that that's the ultimate we want to love and be loved and be perfect in doing so i never wanted to be <laughs> i remember well there's this idea having... of showing up to yeah. and doing our best right no, and, and in our own minds that's the i want to be perfect whatever that vision or or See, when I where I grew up, my sister was perfect, and I never wanted to strive to be what she was because I knew I could never reach it. So I never tried really. So I ah. never had that um, stipulation. But I do remember, like I when I went to Catholic school for the beginning of my life, um, I got like a D in penmanship. I got all like I said, <laughs> English, math, science, A's, 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 and then I'd always get something mm. ridiculous. And I remember going home with the report card in my hand, and I would make the argument to like what I was going to say to my mom when she got mad at me in my argument. And I was in second grade. So my daughter's age, I went home, she saw it. She was like, I can't believe you got a D in penmanship. What are we going to do? And my seven-year-old self said, well, mom, um, my uncle Joe is a doctor and his handwriting is absolutely terrible. So I think I'm going to be a doctor when I grow up, considering I have all these in my other subjects, but my penmanship is garbage. What is the mom going to say? <laughs> she was like, oh, so you want to be a doctor? Um, okay. I can't really uh, say much about that. And then that was the end of the argument. So I grew up knew it, knowing I was imperfect and I was going to fight for my ability to be imperfect. Mm. Yeah, perfectly imperfect, right? Yeah. We make mistakes. We, that's how we grow. Yeah. You know, I, I, I had similar, uh, I didn't have a problem with penmanship. Uh, my mother was an English teacher in junior high and my dad was a tool and die maker. Um, both very astute and challenged my intelligence and, and gave me the opportunity to develop my own. Well, I was also very mischievous and, and I listened to my friends that were encouraging me and I was encourageable. Um, I poured some lathe in a wood shop or poured some oil in a wood shop lathe, smoked up the entire room. And then this was my freshman year. 
And then in another situation, I was given a, a $5 bet that I couldn't hit our substitute teacher with a piece of gum from the back of the room. Well, guess what? It landed in between her glasses and her eyebrow. <laughs> I could have never, and this was from the very back of the room. And of course I had to divulge who did it. Well, that kept me out of, I didn't want to go for uh, valedictorian, but I could have had salutatorian had I not done that. And uh, eh, you never know, right? I ended up taking a trip to California with the salutatorian <laughs> for graduation, you know? So um, school was fun and, and, and enjoyable and not without its challenges at the time growing up in a, small town that wasn't diverse we had no black people we had no we had the um, uh, mexican migrant farm workers during some of the tomato season yeah. um, so I, and i sought those children out yeah. to spend time with rather than spending time with my classmates because they were rather boring to me yeah um and so I learned a lot from that plus I was taking Spanish so I was able to practice Help me out. yeah right so these kinds of things these opportunities we don't necessarily consider when we're younger as to how they help mold and shape our ability to not just survive but to succeed in the future through our own choice of what and how we want to be and do yeah now, how, what, what's your ultimate, what, in your passion, I, I know you're working with Mark and clients and things like that, but looking forward, what, what's Joanna's real passion in life? What would you like to be when you grow up? My or do you care about plan. growing up at all? No, my 10 year plan, I, um, I want to get into politics. I want to be a Senator or a member of the House of Representatives. And I want to start passing bills and, and changing the way our society currently is. Um, I think that that's the way to do it. And I think that I have the uh, background, the intelligence, the ability to write, to be able to um, to do that and to help people and change the world for the better. And that's what Excellent. I want to do. Excellent. And it also fits right in to the Live and Let Live movement because our ultimate goal is to calibrate the law to yeah. remove aggression which is some of the things that you're dealing with how we aggress upon us how we allow that aggression to take place whether it's coercion fraud um you know physical harm property damage you know all the other yeah. kind of stuff yeah those laws are there however when we really look at and create the uh, the path to change the laws we might even be able to establish peace by outlawing war. Yeah. Now that's a long-term, and to some that may sound impossible, right? Us mm -hmm. being able to talk, and as we were talking about BizCat and having the, the internet open and the Zoom calls, and you know, 50 years ago, that was Dick Tracy stuff. Mm -hmm. Nobody believed it possible. It was all science fiction. Well, here we are doing it now. What can happen in the next generation? Things right? that we can't even imagine. Right. And especially Moore's Law, right? With computers that every 18 months, it gets, you know, smaller and smaller and smaller. I think we've even truncated that. Yep. To where there's, you know, things take less time, especially if there's a wave of, uh, I'll say, linked consciousness in the thoughtmosphere, for lack of a better Right, yeah. that, that infinite intelligence, because there's all kinds of different 
thought forms, if you will, of energy that we mm -hmm. give our energy to. And as they grow, those ripples you were talking about build that energy. And then that energy is a resource base from which others can tap into simply by asking the right questions about it. Yeah. And all of a sudden that just opens the door to all this information that when you're patient and uh, when you're patient and persevere, it shows up in front of you in some way, shape or form, whether it's from another person, a book, a video, a show, you know, a, a, an extraneous thought that all of a sudden just links up a bunch of points of order in your mind that you hadn't done yet. Yeah. Right. There's just all kinds of things that, that come out of that. Now that might seem kind of bizarre and even talking about that kind of, of manifestation process and yet when you step back and look at it from a scientific method standpoint of a consistent process that results in these things it's not data points it's experience mm -hmm. and they provide similar experience maybe not the same information that results that's different to each individual yeah right and then those individuals coalesce into a greater whole because they're there with that piece that's necessary in order to provide that and the way you describe it i think of it um that process the scientific method that you described it that's linear so that's our linear experience and we tend to focus on that a lot but what about systemic so if you just uh, take that up the next level and then you have all these linear processes from all these different people places things now you're really going to see the ripple or exactly Exactly. And as we become more aware of consciousness, you know, there's the linear, there's the non-linear, there's the non-local. Yeah. Right. Because then there's, you know, we used to think out-of-body experiences were just kind of happenstance and didn't really mean anything. And, and now we're finding that there's a lot of insight and understanding that comes with them when we're able to explore them without fear. Because a lot of times you pop out about, you know, the first time it happened to me as a seven-year-old, I thought I was going to die, <laughs> right? Because you, you're leaving it, it <clears throat> like that. So you have to address that fear of death. Yeah. Well, you know, fortunately, I'd already developed the, the connection with the inner voice. And I heard this voice say, just relax, take a breath, let go. Everything will be fine. And by golly, it was, you know, I, I did it. I popped out and all of a sudden I'm on the ceiling looking at my body. And then I start thinking about that and I pop right back in my body. Good disassociation. Right. Well, yeah. I don't know if it's disassociation, just allowing yourself to explore other aspects of your own being. I mean, well, yeah, conscious disassociation, not disassociation necessarily from trauma, but the ability oh, yeah. to be able to disassociate from yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. And, and thank you for reframing that in a way that, that made sense for me. Yeah. Uh, and it did. And, and, you know, when you've got the science now with all the different dimensions and planes of consciousness, and, and there's, you know, even those that have provide processes that integrate the bodies on those different planes of consciousness that we have. Now, it's yeah. a thought. Wow. <laughs> that huge. And, and, you know, there's a, um, theory of everything model, quantum physics model that Nepian Close posited in, in 2010 that consciousness, space, and time are tethered across nine dimensions of con of uh, nine dimensions for the human experience. Right, we're on the third dimension, there's, so there's nine more that we have access to. It just so happened that I had a physical experience of that yeah. in 1989. So 
20 years, 21 years later, here's the science that comes along that says, oh yeah, that, you're okay. Yeah. <laughs> Take yeah. a deep breath and you'll be fine, right? Right. That's what the science told you is exactly what yourself told you too. Exactly. And, and yet in the process, you know, I, I got to the end of it and then was given the prompt to get ready to come back. And so I thought, okay, I'm ready. And I came back and I opened my eyes and I turned to the facilitator. And the first thing he says is, uh-oh. I'm like, what? What's wrong? I was ready to come back. And he says, no, you're supposed to drop the bodies off where you picked them up. And unbeknownst to me, I kind of flippantly said, okay, whatever. You know, I didn't realize, because I, I have a bit of an imagination and I can visualize all kinds of stuff. I didn't realize that it was actually real. And that night I was startled awake at, in the wee hours of the morning with a party in my room, not realizing what was going on. But there was all this noise and sound and voices and music and all kinds of stuff. And then a couple of weeks later, I had a friend that spent the night and I gradually gotten used to it. And so it didn't startle me awake now. It was like, okay, this is happening again. I'm just going to kind of be with it, right? And uh, just observe it. And um, this person um, was a, a practicing psychic. We were working on an event together and she left her daytimer there and called from home 1130 at night say hey uh, that's my life can I come back and get it and I'm thinking okay maybe I can it, it's a pretty healthy trip so maybe I can talk her and spend a night and just see what she picks up without saying a word you know kind of the yeah. blind study if you will and uh, sure enough the time came I was sound asleep I, or just barely awake at that point and she sits straight up in bed. She goes, my God, how can you sleep in here? There's got to be at least a dozen different beings in this room. <laughs> and I thought to myself, well, you dumb shit. Vindicated. <laughs> right, that's me. And I never thought uh, about the capacity uh, of that being true. And, and yet, based on that experience, and then 20 years later, having the validation of the science behind it, or at least a reasonable um, expression of it, yeah. Right? we've got that what else can we do and and how can we align with those so that we do have that notion fulfilled like uh what was it in the nag hammadi that jesus said to thomas don't ye know that ye are god as i am god you know and jesus said all these things we we do you can do and more and he's not the only one that said that by the way yeah. it's the one that's most paid attention to and brutalized in the way that Christianity has been proliferated around the world. Mm -hmm. you know, it's been a bridge of church and state instead of a path to ascension. Yeah. Yeah, I believe that. Uh, well, it's the all we got to do is look around. The, the proof is pretty obvious if you look at it through that lens with that question. Yeah, power and control. Aggression, how you put it. Same, same uh, animal. And not that it's been done to purposely harm. I don't think that was the original intention. It was the for the purpose of management. And, and yet, it's turned into, as with normal human ego conscious development, we go through phases. You know, and planetarily speaking, we're probably just coming out of adolescence. Yeah. And becoming aware of others. We're not so soft. It's time to be alive. Yeah. It's going to be exciting. It really is. And so 
speaking of exciting and, and we're kind of um, coming to a close here. It's not so exciting. It's like, oh, no. it's good. we'll have to do it again sometime. Well, these conversations can, can go on and on and on. We're just highlighting the beginning of it and hoping that others will pick up on it and start having their own discussions with mm -hmm. others. You know, hey, I saw this wild, wild and crazy guy on YouTube that's talking about this stuff and he's got others involved and gosh, some of it actually makes sense. <laughs> I got this one nugget. So your nugget in parting, what might that be to the audience as to how they could, you know, do something simple in their own lives to make it better for them and others? I'm going to go with my meditation route. Download Insight Timer. It's a free app on anyone's phone. And just find ones that connect to you. Give yourself, start with two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, five minutes, work yourself up. Um, but give yourself the quiet and give yourself the space to have thoughts. Um, we are very, very, very busy in the Western society and we are very, very self-involved. Um, and to just be able to give ourselves the space to take a break, take a breath and feel what we are in our bodies is super important. And it changed my life without a doubt. So hopefully it could change others. Well, if it changes one, it can change others. Here you go. That's, that's the ripple effect. Indeed. Well, thank you so much for a, a brilliant conversation and uh, an apocalyptic in some cases too. So we got to have that element in there. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Joanna. And, and namaste and in lock catch. And thank you for sticking with us for this episode of One World in a New World. I'm Zen Benefil, your host, and I will see you next time. <laughs>